Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hi, everybody. Good morning. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His mercy is new every morning. He's done great things for us. So great to be in church together today. Uh, in this series that we started a few weeks ago, we have been asking, well, what's next for, what's next for my life? And we've discovered that the choices that we make are going to greatly determine uh, what is next, uh, choices of what we choose to value, uh, the doors that we choose to walk through, uh, the team that we choose to have around us. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the guide that we choose for our life. What will we choose to guide our life into our decisions, into our future? Now there are plenty, plenty of guides out there. Have you noticed that there is no shortage of people who are willing to tell you what to do with your life, right? Uh, Your money, your time, your decisions, plenty of people who want to run your life for you. Plenty of people who will guide you through life, but you want to do the will of God for your life, and you're willing to listen to them if they're going to guide you in the way that your ultimate guide, God, is leading you. And maybe you find yourself today in some type of decision dilemma with what's next for your life. You're trying to figure out some things, you know, do I join the military? Is it this major or that major? Do I date this person? Do I marry this person? Do we have kids now or do we wait? Do we have another kid? Do we sell our house? Do we buy this house? Do we rent for a while? Do I take this promotion? Do we move for this job? Do I start pulling social security now or do I wait a little while longer? Do I get a second opinion on this problem? Do I have this surgery? Do I help this family member? Do I not help them? Where do we send our kids to school? So many decisions Uh, in front of us. And then with all those decisions come this whole feeling and this whole dilemma of, well, is God leading me to do this or am I kind of making this up on my own? Uh, Does God have an opinion? Does he care what I do here? Or is is it just open to my choice? Does God have a will for this and how do I recognize his will? What can I rely on in my life to be guided by God? And so we wonder, is God's will broad or is it very specific? Well, this is what I found the best way to do this, is that God's will has a zone. And that zone is framed by two borders or boundaries. It's like, it's like two sides of the fairway in golf. Uh, I'm, I'm horrible at golf. Don't invite me to go play golf. Last time I was at a driving range, they asked me to stop and come back when no one was there because that was such a nuisance to people, I guess. I don't know. But I think it's a good illustration for for God's will is that there is a zone where there's a fairway where you're in the will of God and there's a rough where you're golfing outside the will of God. And it's framed by two sides. On one side, you have the sovereign will of God. And that's what God is doing on the earth. If you're taking notes, even more simply put than that, it's God's works. Okay, God's will for our lives is never outside of God's works, what he's doing, what he's accomplishing on the earth. God has a will, and we want to know God's will for our lives. 
But our will for our lives is never outside of God's will, of what he's doing. God's sovereign will, if you like to write down extra things, this is sometimes called his hidden will because we don't always under, understand it. It's hidden because we're usually unaware of this aspect of God's will until he reveals it or until what he's decreed has taken place. For example, um, it's God's sovereign will that Joseph in the Old Testament be taken to Egypt to be in Pharaoh's prison to eventually save his people from famine to be honored by all. At first, Joseph, his brothers, they're completely ignorant of God's will in all this, but every step along the way, God's plan is becoming clearer. And so one of the easiest ways to understand part of God's will for your life is to understand God's works. This is why when, when they said to Jesus, teach us to pray, he says, before you ask for your daily need, before you go to him with what you need, pray, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Lord, I want my life to align with what you're doing, with what you're accomplishing. God, make, make your will my, my will, like conform my will to yours. Now, another boundary uh, to the will of God that kind of makes this fairway is the moral will of God. And this is, this is the things that God has already revealed to us and said in his word. It's God's ways. So this is not the hidden, this is not hidden in, in any way. This is the revealed will of God. That we align ourselves with what he said. Because he'll never have anything for us that contradicts his word. As we read God's word, he guides us. He guides us through the principles, through the examples of the people in the Bible, through commands, through promises, through uh, examples of what to avoid and what not to do, of places to go and things to do. So some, someone might say, well, I've just had this impression or this idea that I was supposed to do something, but um, it contradicts something in God's word. Well, don't do it. God won't contradict himself like that. In fact, that's how a lot of cults get started, is someone gets this private impression it doesn't agree with the Bible, but they've got this impression. Or they'll take one verse and instead of interpreting it with the whole Bible, they'll just go with their takeaway from that one idea or that one verse. But anytime we get outside of the moral will of God, out of God's ways, at this point, it's no longer... The, the, the important question isn't to ask, well, should I take this job or not this job, or should we move here or move there or do this or like do this with our... like make this decision or whatever... No, I just need to get back onto the fairway. I need to get back into God's ways. I need to get back into the zone. And I just need to live in God's ways. Then I can find what's called the personal will of God. And that's what God desires for your life. And this is what most often what we're referring to when we ask what's God's will for my life is, is this piece. And let me just tell you that what God desires for your life is more fulfilling than whatever, than whatever you have planned. Here, here's the key statement to pulling all three of these together, is the more that I get to know what God is doing, his sovereign will, his works, and the more I get to know what he has said, so this is God's ways, his moral will, well then I can better, un I can better understand, I can better discern what God desires for my life. Let me just take this illustration a little bit further. Uh, to take this fairway illustration, you have these boundaries to a fairway, and on 
one side, so one boundary. We'll call that God's ways. Let's go to the next one. Then we've got uh, God's works kind of bringing in the boundary of the other one. Outside of those boundaries, there's hazards, there's sand traps, there's water. It's slow moving, there's trees. But in, there, in those boundaries is where you find God's will. So how do you get there? Let's just take two simple questions that can get us into this zone, get us into this fairway, is what am I doing that I should not be doing? Or what should I just stop doing? What, what's in my life that I, I... This is a great question to just ask regularly. To go to God and say, God, uh, what, what am I doing that... Uh, maybe I'm not even aware of it, but it's hindering... Uh, it's hindering my success. It's hindering your work in my life. What do I need to trim out of my life? And then another question to ask is, what am I not doing that I should be doing? Or what, what do I need to start doing? What, God, what should I stop doing? What's something I should start doing? And if you ask God that, I found that he answers it. That he points to something. He pokes at something. And it, it's like, okay, I got it. I hear you. God, all right? I, God, I can take it. Now, I want to show you today... God's will for your life is found only in this fairway of God's ways and God's works. And I want to look at um, three things that we should stop doing in order to be guided by God, for him to be the guide of our life, and three things to start doing. Three stops, three starts. Stops and starts, stops and starts, stops and starts. I want to look at three things for what should I stop doing in order to be guided by God. And to do that, I want to look at three Bible verses that every Christian uh, should know. Uh, you should know these Bible verses, so I'm excited to look at them today. If you know them, I would encourage you to memorize these Bible verses. They are so crucial in being guided by God. The first thing that we want to stop doing to find God's will is to stop copying a culture that doesn't follow God. Most people make decisions in their life according to this simple, this simple thought. Is it acceptable? They, they say, I just, I just want to fit in. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to rock the boat. If they're doing it, I'll do it. If they're not doing it, I won't do it. And there are great, great pressures to cause you to conform to our culture. But God, meanwhile, is going the opposite way. And he's leading you the opposite way. One of the weaknesses or the failures of following culture is it's all temporary. It's all te whatever is in style now, next year is going to be what? It's going to be out of style. Nothing is as worthless as yesterday's fashion unless you hold on to it for 30 years. I told a guy on a Saturday night uh, uh, last week, I said, hey, I like your shirt. And he said, yeah, it's been in style three times now. I just thought that was really funny. Like, it just keeps coming back. And this is... Honestly, this was the problem, Israel's biggest problem for two, three, four thousand years in the Bible. They kept trying to want to be like every other nation. And God's like, you are missing the point entirely. I'm trying to make you like no other nation. That's my whole goal. I'm trying to make you distinct from the world. I'm trying to make you a distinct people. And so he gives them these moral laws, civil laws, ceremonial laws. He said this is because intentionally to separate you from other nations who do horrible things. He said, I don't want you to be like this nation that does child sacrifice. I don't want you to be like this nation that does these other things. I don't even want you to like weave certain things together or have anything to do with them. I'm trying to make you distinct. 
And God says, because you're my people, I want you to be separate. I want you to be different. So don't copy what everyone else is doing, what other cultures are doing, what other people are doing. Today, many people just accept many of the standards simply because they're culturally correct or politically correct or, or what have you. Romans 12.2 says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let's pause there. Sometimes we don't know what God wants because we are, we're too enculturated with our culture. And you can't think like the world and think like God at the same time. You can't see from God's perspective and see from the world's perspective at the same time. So you let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing your perspective, seeing with eyes of faith, seeing from God's perspective, seeing, changing your perspective the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which I love these, these three words. Friend, God's will for your life may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be painful along the way, but it is good. It is pleasing. It is perfect. If I want to be guided by God, I must stop copying a culture that doesn't follow God. Number two, I must stop looking to other sources besides God. Now, when people look to anything else besides God for guidance in, your li- in their life, uh, do you know what that's called? You know what that's called when you look for divine guidance, uh, but you're not actually praying or um, reading the Bible or going to God for it or looking uh, to God's truth. That's called divination. And divination means to try and find out about your future without going to your creator. That's called divination, and there are countless ways to try and define the future. Uh, Do you know in ancient times what was the most common way that people tried to discern the future? It was called consulting the liver. And they would actually sacrifice an animal and they'd cut out the liver uh, because the liver was supposed to be the heaviest organ in the body. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. I, don't, I really don't, I don't get it. Uh, but someone would look at it and they would go, uh, yeah, we're supposed to go to battle. You'll win this one by consulting the liver. Liver let die or something. I don't know. But this is uh, not, you can thank Patrick Jitto for that one. Don't blame it on me. But this is not some little minor thing. Uh, The Roman Empire was built on this concept of finding the liver. Uh, No Roman soldier would go into battle without looking at the liver. The Babylonians looked at the liver. This was one of the most commonly used ways to predict the future. In fact, it's mentioned in Ezekiel 21, 21, for the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. And this is as stupid as it sounds. Like he'll get to a fork in the road and throw an arrow, cast a lot, and whichever way it's pointing, that's the way it'll go. He will consult his idols. He will examine the liver. So that's called divination. Now, does this kind of stuff happen today? Uh, Hello? Uh, Astrology and horoscopes and readings and mediums and certain kinds of cards and boards and laying stuff out and if this does this then I'll do this if this circumstance happens this way then I'll go this way why do people turn to all these other things 
It's because they don't want a, a boss in their life. They don't want a God in their life. They want a future, and they want to know the future, but they don't want God. They don't want a Lord. And they'd rather have uh, the universe or some mystery unveiling things to them, and they can choose to do it or not to do it. They don't want someone to serve. So when the Israelites are going into the promised land that God has promised to them, and they're going to take it, and they're surrounded by all these different nations and different things, God says, do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Now, if you know a believer who's doing this, just lovingly, strongly, gently tell them, you're headed down the wrong track. You're never going to know God's will through a seance through a medium, through the stars. God hates it with a passion. Now, I know I'm taking a while on this, but if you want to be led by the Spirit of God, there's some things you have to stop doing before you start doing the other. You stop copying a culture. You stop looking to other sources. And number three, you stop following the feelings that are temporary. Feelings that are temporary. Because our feelings can lie to us all the time. Now, every emotion is temporary, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Um, you can be elated at Silver Dollar City. That feeling will not last. You can be elated at uh, your team winning a game, the team you were rooting for. That feeling will not last. You can be elated at your wedding. It will not last. A smarter man would have not used that illustration, but... <laughs> The same is true if you're frustrated or discouraged. The intensity of that will not last. Of course, you have like a chronic emotion or, or frustration, but no emotion stays at the same intensity level all the time. If, if you have a panic attack, one thing you can know is that it can't last. You cannot stay in a perpetual state of panic. And this too will pass. So you cannot never make a permanent decision from a temporary feeling. Never make a permanent decision from a temporary feeling. Feelings and emotions, they're not bad, they're not good, they just are, they're neutral. You have to get beyond your feeling to make certain decisions. A common mistake is to say, well, just let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience is a great thing to have. It's God-given, uh, but it can be warped. It can be misguided. You can lie to yourself. We lie to ourselves more than we lie to any, anyone else. You can have what's called false peace. False peace. And you can have that peaceful, easy feeling, but that doesn't mean you're standing on solid ground. A gut feeling isn't always good. Peace is one of the things. So like you're going to say, if, I'm, if you're going to make a big decision, asking yourself, do I have peace about it? It's not the only thing to ask. One of the things, so you need to also ask, is the Holy Spirit at peace about it? Does the Bible say this is okay? Does uh, my church family, the guide, the, my other people, the team in my life, do they confirm it? you got to look to more than just that. You need the Holy Spirit to speak to the conscience and guide it. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Just because someone else thinks something doesn't make it true. Just because it's popular doesn't make it true. It's true because it's true or not. 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Another verse every Christian uh, uh, should know. Let's read this one out loud together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So that's three to stop doing. What are three things you start doing? Uh, Number one, if you want to get God's guidance from God, if you want divine direction, number one, start being willing to be led. And I know that that may seem obvious, but it starts with a desire. It starts with a longing. It starts with a craving. Have you ever been at the pool and uh, maybe a sibling held you under the water? Uh, You're playing around and they held you under the water a little too long. And you got to the place where you're like, I have got to have air and I have got to have it right now. I remember being at the lake with a friend when I was a kid and we were swimming under this dock. We'd swim underneath and come up on the other, other side. And I had gotten a little turned around under there and I came up and I thought I was coming up for air and I came up and my head's hitting the bottom of, of the dock. And then I got disoriented and I start panicking and I can't find, uh, find the edge. And finally I come up, I mean, I was panic, desperate, desperate for air. Come up and breathing in air. You couldn't stop me. When you get that desperate, when you cry out to God saying, God, I have got to know you. I've got to know what you want for my life. It's not, it's not a, if you want to tell me, that'd be great. And if you tell me, then I'll decide what to do. Like, I'll take it or leave it. If you have no intensity, passion in your life for God's desires in your life, friend, you won't find it. It's when you say, I've got to have it. I've got to get to him. I need him. I'm hungry. I've got to have the bread of life. I'm thirsty. I've got to have living water. I cannot breathe down here. I have got to have air. I've got to just touch the hem of his garment. I've got to get to him. Jesus, I need you in my life. To say, and I'm willing, I want your will and I'm willing to have it. I'm willing to say in advance, God, whatever it is, whatever you want from me, Lord, I'll do it. If you don't get to that point, you won't know it. God says you surrender your life as much as you know how, wherever you are, with whatever you have. Jesus has a fascinating response to one point in the Gospels where we see he's being questioned. He's being questioned of How do you know what you know? Where do you come from? Who do you claim to be? And he has this response that basically says, like, you think I'm just going to answer that? You think I'm just going to tell you just because you asked me in your doubt or disbelief or even just your curiosity? He says in John 7, 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He says, you can find out even more clearly than just my answer. You can know it in a place that a word would never even go. You can feel it in a way that no one else could feel it. Because you chose God and you sought his will. You tasted and you found that God is good. Psalm 25, 9 says, God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. That'll speed up the process. This word is an accelerator, Uh, humility. If if the more humble you are coming to God, the quicker you 
get the information that you need. The more humble that you are in fighting an addiction, the more conquering that you're going to have over that addiction. The, the stubbornness, unwillingness, it always slows the process down. If you want healing in a relationship, the more humble you are, the, more, the quicker you'll find healing. The more stubborn or prideful you are, the, more, the slower it, it will take. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. It's why, it's why we sing, it will be my joy to say your will, your way, God. So you start, it starts with a willingness, a desire. You say, God, you're the only one with air and I've got to breathe. Number two is you start looking to God's word. I must look to God's word. God's will is found in God's word. Psalm 119, two great verses on this uh, out of here. And if, if you do the talk it over notes, we'll have those up uh, later today. You'll read through the chapter of Psalm 119 in there. Uh, but it says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Without God's word, we are stumbling around, groping around, looking in the dark, trying to figure things out. We cannot see. Your word is a lamp to guide me. It's a light for my path. Most of God's will, um, as we said before, talking about God's ways, is revealed in God's word. Now, the name of your spouse is not in there. The name of your company is not in there. But the principles are there on how to find the right person or the principles of who to become regardless of the circumstance or the situation. We discover God's will in God's word. The Bible is wild, exciting. It's boring in parts. It's weird in parts. It's really clear in parts. And you just take the ride. You take the ride for all of those things. Some, some of you want God to write the sign in the sky. He's written it in his word and on your heart. And you start looking for a verse. And God will teach you the principles. You, you just get into situations where you're in the word. And you're doing that. I, I'm thankful because I, I know that because of church and because of you all and because the way we've set up our life, like even if I go a week that I didn't, I didn't read my Bible on my own. I can't go a week without God's word because I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to a small group. I'm fostered relationships that are going to encourage one another with the word. That's one place where I'll just pause right here and encourage you again. Like last week, if we have our small, fall small groups uh, coming up, and that semester starts uh, the week of September 10th, it's a great opportunity to get connected here. No matter what stage or season of life you're in right now, we believe that being in community with other believers will make a huge difference. They'll make a huge difference for discovering God's will. Now, we have all sorts of groups that meet with all different sorts of kind of uh, intensities or goals and uh, meetings throughout the different times and everything. But you can find a group at here, rockbrook.org connect, or we've put that in the app as well. And once you find a group, just click join, and uh, the leader can reach out with more information and we also have kids' small groups happening as well. So our kids' small groups are very much like our adult small groups or uh, the Wednesday night teen uh, small groups and a youth group that, that meets uh, here on Wednesday nights. But we want your kids to come around a table and learn about the Bible and pray for one another. Talk about life. Kids' small groups are for kids grades 1 through 6. We'll start Monday, September 11th from 5.30 to 6.45. You can learn more uh, to register at rbfk.net, Rockbrook for Kids, rbfk.net, uh, or we'll guide you there in the church app as well. 
Psalm 119, 133. Let's read this together. This is why it's so crucial that you're just even around people who are going to encourage you with God's word. It's that crucial for God's will and to overcome. Let's read this one together. Guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. Number three, how do we, what do we start to be guided by God? We start asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. Now, how does he do that? One of the primary ways the Holy Spirit guides us uh, is by reminding us of God's word. That God, he brings things to mind. The Holy Spirit reminds us. One of his names uh, that we're given in the Bible of the Holy Spirit is he's called the divine reminder. And I'm so thankful for that because I have a divine forgetter and I need a divine reminder. And he'll remind you when you need it if you lean on him. I, I don't know how many situations that I've been in or you've told testimony of, of this where, and I don't have a Bible with me, the stakes are high, the pressure's on, I need God's word, and he reminds me of something in, in God's word. Another way that the Holy Spirit guides us is he'll put uh, ideas in your mind, impressions. Now, I've told you this many times, that when the devil gives you an idea, that's called temptation. Temptation. When God gives you an idea... That's called inspiration. When I come up with an idea on my own, that's called dumb. <laughs> God gave you a brain. He wants you to use it. But the truth is, Satan cannot control you except to suggest thoughts to you. And if you accept them, if you believe them, if you believe his lie, then he's controlling you through that lie. God will not control you. He's given you free will. But when he puts an idea in your mind and you respond to it, that's called being enlightened, inspired by God. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you, inspire you, put impressions in your mind that lead you in, in his ways and his works. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, do not stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecy as if it were not important, but test everything. Keep what is good. And stay away from everything that is evil. We pray that God himself, the God of peace, will make you pure, belonging only to him. We pray that your whole self, spirit, soul, and body, so everything that makes up who you are, will be kept safe and be, be without wrong when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. So God, just like he was trying to separate the Israelites and say, I don't want you to be like any other nation. I'm making you... Of people. God's doing the same thing with Christians. He's setting you apart to be pure, belonging to God. This is sanctification. It's holiness. Not, not in a way that it's a goal that you're, because then you get to be better than somebody else. No, it's God's grace in your life. The Holy Spirit is often referred to as a fire. Why? Because fire has a refining quality. It's refining you, sanctifying you bringing about holiness in your life. Leonard Ravenhill says, you know, we live in a day when we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. <laughs> Man, that sits heavy with me. We're more afraid of what God, what God's will is and what God wants to do in our life than we are sometimes of the world's ways and the temptation that we're being brought with and the lies that we're being told and the sin that we might have. God wants to take every impurity and refine us and sanctify us.
We've got to stay in the process. You know, just because you're in the fairway doesn't mean it isn't hard sometimes. You don't get turned around or you don't know what God is doing. You get to stay in the process, stay in the work. I wanted to close today with uh, some words from C.S. Lewis on this and then we'll pray. He says, dozens of people go to God to be cured of some one particular sin which they are ashamed of, like cowardice, or which is obviously spoiling daily life like a bad temper. So in other words, like, man, I keep losing my temper and it's ruining my life. God, can you just help me with my temper, please? Can you help me solve, solve this thing? Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you asked, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that, that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts dreadfully and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Let's pray together. I would um, love it if you'd just allow me to lead you in in a, a couple moments of prayer. Maybe it's been a few days or weeks since you've just sat uh, still before the Lord. And maybe you resonate with some of those statements where you would say today, God, what on earth are you up to? And as dark as it may be right now or frustrating as it may be right now, uh, would you just turn to him and say, Father, I believe that uh, you are the way. And there is uh, no ultimate peace uh, outside of you. And you say, God, I'm willing to be led. I, I have lost some of that hunger, some of that thirst, some of that passion. But God, I humble myself before you today. And I ask you to help me find it. To find that hunger again. To reignite that flame, that desire for your ways, your works, your will in my life. God, I know I need you. I need to be saved by you. I need to surrender the control of my life to you to say not my will, but your will be done. Not my way, but your way, Lord. Just say in your own way, in your heart and mind today, God, I need you for salvation. I need you for living. I need you for living my life. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is a light. And God, I need your Holy Spirit to guide me, to lead me, to inspire me, to give me hope, to help me make it through this situation. Lord, I don't, I don't know how to do it all, but as much as I know how, I give my life to you. I surrender control to you. I believe that I need you. I cannot do it on my own. I need you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. 
Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.